0: جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم rahim الله وبركاته
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على سيد وخاتم الانبياء وعلى اله واصحابه اما بعد today we continue our class from chapter 15 jawabuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam مِمَّا Sa'ala عَنْهُمْ How Rasulullah وسلم, when answering a question, wouldn't rely on simply answering based off of what was asked. Rather, the Prophet would give more than what the questioner had proposed to the Prophet Go ahead. بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله, الله Replying to more than what was
2: asked. At times Rasulullah وسلم, would give a more detailed reply than what he was asked for. He Sallallahu did so when he felt that the questioner needed to know more than what he had asked. This again shows his profound kindness and the consideration he gave to his students and those who came to seek knowledge. Imam Malik and al- Abu Dawud narrate on the authority of Abu tribe. Here,
1: we see that the Sahabi asked Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi these are people who spent a lot of time in the ocean and the sea on ships, in Narkab al-Bahra. And when, we, when they will go on these expeditions, long journeys, We don't take too much water with us. We reserve the space for other things, food and many other tools they would need for their journey. فَإِن Now the little water that we do have, that we've brought on the ship with us. If we do wudu with that water, we will then die of thirst because uh, the water from the ocean cannot be, a person can't drink it, it's too salty. <inaudible> so they weren't sure, are we even allowed to use the water of the ocean for wudu? Now, from our perspective, of course you can, but that's because we know. For the companions, this was a new encounter for them. They were dealing with water that had a very uh, like saline, very salty taste to it. Um, people wouldn't drink from it. So if we wouldn't drink from it, if we don't consume it, is this something that we're not supposed to do wudu with? Just a genuine question. Their question was about doing wudu so they can pray salah while they were traveling on ships. When Rasulullah wasallam responds, he says, huwa ma'uha, that the ocean is such that its water is pure. You can do all the wudu, all the ghusl you want. Bathe and do wudu with the water of the ocean. (inaudible) أَلْحِلُّ مَيْتَتُهَا This is the ziyadah. This is the extra part. So they asked the first part, Nabi ﷺ responded that you can do wudu with the water of the ocean. But the part that he added that they didn't ask about was, (inaudible) أَلْحِلُّ مَيْتَتُهُ That it's also permissible for you to eat whatever you find in the ocean. Now, obviously, there's a difference of opinion among the jurists on the issue. You have one side, the Maliki, Shafi'is, and Hanbalis, who take a broader stance on this. And they say, Sayyidul Bahr, bahar everything, found, all animals found in the ocean, or majority of them, they give permission to eat them. Some of them do have conditions that an equivalent of that animal must be found within the land that you can eat. Right? Um, the Hanafis, we said that, the Hanafi position on this matter is, that when it comes to um, seafood, fish is permitted. Rasulullah sallam in the riwayah, when talking about um, ودمان, When talking about two dead things that are permissible to eat, that do not require a sacrifice, to that he said, أَسَّمَكُ Jarat. One of them is the fish. So fish is something that you don't need to sacrifice. You don't need to take it and say, بسم into the You don't need to do that. But naturally, it's halal for you. You can eat it all you want to. Um, so the, with the Hanafi fuqaha allow consumption of fish only. So anything that fits under the definition of fish, they allow it. Uh, based off of this diwai of Rasulullah wasallam, the majority of the scholars went to a more general uh, approach to the narration, and they said that anything that's from the ocean, they give permission to eat it based off this dua. Go ahead.
2: Turning the attention of the questioner away from the actual question posed.
1: So this is another approach of Rasulullah As a teacher, you have to ask yourself, is the question being asked even appropriate? Just because someone asks you a question, doesn't mean you need to respond to it, or you should respond to it. You need to think to yourself, that this question that was asked, is it the right question? So in that moment you're thinking on behalf of the student and also on behalf of the gathering, the congregation. Sometimes someone may ask a question, and your response to them would be, instead of this, you should be asking that. Your mind should be in that direction, not here you're too narrow, your mind is lost, you're, you're focusing too much on one issue while ignoring five other important issues. So, <laughs> so leftahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as ila ghayli ma anhu. Nabi sallallahu redirected the attention of the people. Sometimes a person says that, um, they say to the shaykh, that how do I experience a hal in my salah? How do I experience a lofty spiritual state in my Salah. The interesting thing is, this sort of question isn't common among the, um, this sort of question isn't common among the Sahaba. And neither is it one that you'll find commonly asked to the ulama of the past. And the reason is because, not that it doesn't exist, it's not common I said. And the reason is because, a hal, a spiritual state, you know when you're praying, sometimes you feel something special, your tears are just rolling down and your heart is really connected in that moment. A hal is a gift from Allah. And a gift is given when the one who is giving it wishes to give it. You can't manufacture a hal. You can't artificially create it. Therefore, rahmatullahi Shafiithani while addressing this issue, he actually said to the student that chasing after a hal will be your spiritual demise because you're focusing on something that is beyond your capacity. You need to focus on what's in your capacity, and that is to pray your salah in accordance to the sunnah with as much as focus as you can. Now whether you experience something or not, whether it's a special salah for you, whether it's one of those salahs that your heart is just pouring itself out, that's up to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Sometimes you listen to the Qur'an and you just hear one ayah and it touches your heart. Allah has given you a moment in that time for your heart to experience something. A person does Tawaf around the Kaaba and they do so many Tawafs, and every Tawaf, they're just looking for something. They're waiting. that You know, I'm going to have an opening, I'm going to have an opening. And at times that opening occurs towards the end of the journey. Sometimes it's the first moment you look at the Kaaba. At times, unfortunately, there is no opening on a particular trip. You can't be frustrated by that. What you need to hold yourself accountable to is Fulfilling the teachings of Rasulullah in line with shari'i guidelines while trying to bring yourself spiritually to as much as focus as you can. So this is where sometimes the questioner may ask one question, but the teacher will need to take the questioner somewhere else, that in reality you should be asking this. Go ahead.
2: Bukhari Muslim narrate on the authority of Anas radiallahu anhu that a person said to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when is the hour O Rasulullah He sallallahu alaihi wasallam replied what have you prepared for it
1: So his question was more about a fact when is the day of judgment Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't like that question because the answer to this was known by no one other than Allah No human being or angel knows the answer to when is the day of judgment so where Rasulullah could not give this person a satisfactory answer that he was searching for an exact that date and time, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took him to what mattered more. Because the day of judgment will occur when Allah wills for it to occur. It could be tomorrow, it could be a hundred years from now, it could be a thousand years from now. But regardless of what or, sorry, regardless of when the Day of Judgment occurs, From the individual's perspective, the question isn't when it occurs, the question should be, what have I prepared for it to occur? If it were to occur now, with what face would I stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What deeds do I have in place? So while this person was fact searching, Nabi sallallahu wa stopped him right away, and said, no, that's not what we're looking at. The question should be, what have you prepared for the Day of Judgment? And this is important, You'll have people, I'm not sure if I share this krisah with you guys, not too long back, there was a young man who came to me. I was traveling and he was in the car. So he started asking me all these questions. He's a of the Qur'an, high schooler. Good young man. He said, Shaykh, I have a question. I said, okay, go ahead. We were driving for one hour, stuck in traffic. So he said, you know, uh, he started off the story online. There's one brother who said something. So there's another brother who responded to him and did a video. And then this guy responded to him, and then he said, that sheikh got involved, he told me something for 45 minutes, some crazy soap drama. It was wild, like this guy did a refutation against him, this guy wrote a book against him, this guy's followers then did this, and that guy did a video like this. And he sat there and told me this whole story. At the end of it, he asked me, Sheikh, what are your thoughts? What advice do you have? So my honest advice to him was, my honest advice to him, you know what my response to him was? When he asked me, Sheikh, what is your opinion about all this, all this drama? I turned to him and I said, Bahai, did you pray the hajjud last night? And I wasn't trolling, I was serious. I cared for this young man. I asked him, did you pray the hajjud last night? He said, no Sheikh, I didn't. I said, don't waste your energy on all these things. Focus on your own ibadah. You might think that I'm being passive and ignoring it, but the truth is, neither you or I will be asked about this. I'm not a part of this person's dunya, neither are you. You're a Hafidh of the Qur'an, preserve your Qur'an, read it in tahajud salah. I told him, you are a young man that has great potential. I can see you one day studying at the Qalam seminary. But I want you to prepare yourself first. Make yourself worthy of ilm, make dua Allah azawajan. all this other stuff that's going on, all this nonsense. And the worst of all these people are the, I keep forgetting their names, what are they called? Not the influencers. You know those farig people who don't do anything but just make... Like they don't have anything to do with the problem and they make a uh, reaction people. You know the guys who make these reaction videos? They're the most farig human beings. They have no involvement in the whole problem. It's not like they're refuting or they're responding to anything. They're just providing their ta'athurat from the outside. That from my opinion, that this person was right. You know, they have these reaction people. They're the most farig and fuzul people in the world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from all of this. This is an important point though, this teaching approach of Rasulullah. For this, the teacher has to be intelligent and smart. Don't take every question and answer it. Don't fall for the bait. Even as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor, you need to ask yourself if you want to answer that question. If you think that question bears uh, merit or benefit to it, If you answer every question, you may end up causing a lot of harm to the student. Because then now, for them, it's all about finding the next question. What's the next thing I can ask? What's the next thing I can ask? When you stop a person a few times, and they say that, Shaykh, I have a question. And you say, no. When you say no to that person, it teaches them to hit the brakes on the questions. And reevaluate what you're asking. Is there sense in what I'm saying? Why did this person say no? Maybe because the last three questions I asked were so obvious that they, weren't, they didn't warrant a question. <laughs> You're asking the same question again and again. So now it's time for me to think. And sometimes someone asks a question and you tell them, your question was not right. I want you to think about your question again. It opens the mind up of a person. Go ahead.
2: The man said, I have not prepared for it with many salāhs, fasts, and charity. However, I love Allah and His Messenger."
1: His jawab was so honest too. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be honest like this. Such an honest answer. Bear in mind that he asked this question in front of a group of, pe- in front of, a group of people. Imagine how vulnerable he had to be to say, min kathiri wala That I haven't done much salah, صوم, uh fasting and sadaqah in preparation for the Day of Judgment. I haven't done that. Admitting that in front of people, that can't be easy. But he did and it came with great reward. So Rasulullah, then he said, وَلَكِنِّي أُحِبُّ wa rasulahu. However, I love Allah and His Messenger. The truth is that had he not said that last part, his iman would be in question. The guy's not praying salah, not really fasting much, what's going on here? But he makes it clear that where I'm deficient in my actions, in my belief, I'm very strong. In my love, and my conviction, I'm um, unwavering. So Rasulullah said, Antama aman That you will be with the one who you love. So in this riwayah, we see how Rasulullah wasallam took the questioner from, from, from a point of view that they thought was beneficial for them. And then shifted them to another place that actually had much more benefit for them. Opening that person's mind and teaching them how to think and how to ask. Go ahead asking for a question to be repeated so that a full reply may be given. Sometimes Rasulullah would ask for the question to be repeated. استعادته ﷺ السؤال من السائل لإيفاء بيان الحكم السؤال من, السو- من الس- السؤال من السائل Nabi telling the questioner to repeat his question. So he can thoroughly explain the issue. They would ask a question, he would give an answer, and then say, Ask it again. He would say to the questioner again, Ain Sa'id, where is the
2: questioner gone? Ask your question again. Ask your question again. As Salaam was saying Go ahead. At times, Rasulullah would ask a person to repeat his question, despite fully understanding the question. So that the questioner could increase his knowledge, fully comprehend the reply, or so that he could expound on the answer. Muslim and Nasai narrated on the authority of Abu anhu uh, that Rasulullah stood before them and informed them that waging jihad in the cause of Allah and belief in Allah, Ta'ala Rasulullah, tell me, if I am killed in the cause of Allah, will it be an uh, atonement for my sins? Rasulullah said, Yes, if you are killed in the cause of Allah, while you are steadfast, fighting solely for His pleasure, moving forward and not fleeing from the battlefield. Rasulullah then said, What was your question again? The person said, Tell me, if I am killed in the cause of Allah, will it be an atonement for my sins? So he
1: already answered his question. He asked a oh, messenger of Allah, أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ قُتِلْتُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ تُكَفَّرُ عَنِّي خَطَايَاً That if I am killed in the battlefield, will all of my sins be pardoned? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi in clear words said to him, نَعَمْ إِنْ قُتِلْتَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَأَنْتَ صَابِرٌ مُحْتَسِبٌ مُقْبِلٌ غَيْرُ مُدْبِرٌ That you will be, all of your sins will be forgiven, but on the condition that you are patient, you seek reward with Allah, you advance in the battlefield, muqbil, you move forward, ghayra mudbir, without retreating and, and fleeing from the battlefield. If you fight courageously and with patience and while hoping for a reward with Allah, meaning while you're sincere, of course your sins will be forgiven. Then, after Rasulullah answered him, ثم قال Rasulullah, now after answering him, the Prophet of Allah said, Kafa qult? Ask your question again. So now he asked a second time. That if I was killed in the battlefield, will my sins be pardoned? So Rasulullah now said, listen to the second time. نَعْمْ فَإِنَّ جِبْرِيلَ قَالَ لي Except for debt. And then Rasulullah wasallam said, For Jibreel just told me this. So now Nabi Wasallam. So the second time when he asked the question, he asked to add a piece of information, opening the issue up, piece by piece. So here we learn that when a person does a good deed, for example, if they perform Hajj or if they do Jihad or any good deed, their حقوق are pardoned, but their حقوق ibad are not pardoned. If you owe someone money, you will always owe it to them until you pay them back. Or that person chooses to forgive you. You can perform 10 hajjs, It won't cause that debt to wipe away. That debt will remain. Yes, go ahead.
2: Asking another student to answer a question in order to train him. Rasulullah wasallam would sometimes hand over the responsibility of answering a question to a sahabi in order to train and familiarize him with answering questions. Imam Ahmad narrates in his Muslim Anzar al in his Sunan on the authority of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn asr By the
1: way, for this to work, you have to have trust and confidence in that student. And they have to have learned as well. If they haven't gone through any training and you push them forward and get them to answer questions, they're going to make a big mess out of the situation. So if you look at this scenario here, Rasulullah sallallahu sallam, an Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asr It's narrated by Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asr he says that, جَاءَ رَجُلَانِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم. And two people came to the Prophet of Allah and they were arguing. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ بن he said, The Prophet said to my father, اِقْضِي بَيْنَهُمَا You pass judgment between these two. That's got to be quite terrifying. That on one side you have Rasulullah the brightest mind of the world, watching over you as you pass judgment. وَأَنْتَ هَهُنَا يا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Amr ibn al-As said, O Messenger of Allah, you want me to solve this problem in this matter, pass judgment here while you're here? You're here, how can I speak? Na'am. So then um, the Prophet said, Yes. Go ahead, you can read it. الله الله so he said to Amr ibn al-As, You pass judgment on
2: these two. Amr said, can I pass judgment while you are present here, Ya Rasulullah? He replied, yes. He said, on what basis should I pass judgment? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, if you, um, if you endeavor and you are correct in your judgment, you will be rewarded tenfold. And if you endeavor and you are wrong in your judgment, you will receive one reward.
1: So then Rasulullah sallallahu says, ujur that if you engage in ijtihad and you exert yourself and you answer and you're right, Allah will give you 10 rewards. falaka <laughs> wahid. But if you exert yourself to answer this person and you get it wrong, you'll still get one reward for trying. By the way, again, this is for people who have knowledge, for students of knowledge. Common people should not be doing ijtihad, they're not, at the maqam of ijtihad, they're not qualified for it, they should not answer questions. If a matter of the deen is presented to them, they should go to people of knowledge and submit it to them. Being careless in this regard and passing verdicts on the deen could cause you your akhirah. It's not worth it. Matters of the dunya, if you get it wrong, you, you, you mess up your plumbing at home, you fix it. Matters of the akhirah, they have a bigger implication. So be very careful when speaking in matters of the deen. If you're not qualified, you don't know, just say la adli, I don't know. For that in itself, that admission and that humility is half of knowledge. Go
2: ahead.
1: Testing a learned person on a particular issue in order to praise him if he is correct. So Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم at times would also quiz the companions, not quiz them so he could trip them or make them fall to humiliate them to make them look bad that's not what was happening nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam would sometimes question the companions waiting for them to get it right so he can then praise them he adds this last part to show that even when rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was testing people he was doing it in the light of positivity in our communities when we test people unfortunately it's commonly in the Context of humiliating people that do you even know the hadith of Bukhari and that guy's like, I don't know. So you say you dummy That's the context, right? You establish your superiority by asking someone a question That's not who Rasulullah was sallallahu wasallam He would prepare people Educate them ask them questions when they would get it right the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam would praise them for it And if they got it wrong, he would then correct them It was a practice of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam this is interesting because this whole set of chapters we're reading right now, it teaches us not just how to teach, that we covered over the past few weeks. Today when we look at the chapters we're studying, we're learning that Rasulullah educational methodology involved empowerment. That's what we're learning today. It was about empowering the student. Tell me what do you think? But not just any average student, again, you don't just give anyone the option to speak. It's people who are qualified, people that have weight to them. So the Sahaba, they say that after Fajr Salah, Rasulullah wasallam would turn around to the congregation, and he would ask, did anyone see any dreams? And if the Prophet of Allah saw a dream, he would share it himself. Many a times the Sahaba would share their dreams, and the Prophet of Allah, instead of interpreting the dream directly, what would he do? ask the Sahaba, that what's the interpretation of this? And sometimes they would get it right, the Prophet ﷺ would confirm it, this is the correct interpretation. If they got it wrong, Rasulullah would make corrections. These du'ayat are in the siha, the authentic narrations. So we see how the Prophet ﷺ empowered them. Go ahead. At times Rasulullah ﷺ Rasool. would test
2: some of the Sahaba he would question a Sahabi regarding a particular issue in order to gauge his intellect and attitude. If he was correct, he would praise him, congratulate him, and pat him lightly on his chest as an indication that such, such a person was deserving of Rasulullah's love and appreciation because of his correct answer.
1: First
2: one. The second one? Second one? Abu Dawood Tirmidhi, Dalbi ibn Sa'd, and Qadi Waqi. Uh, narrate on the authority of Mu'adh ibn Najbah who said, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa dispatched me towards Yemen, he asked, he asked me, how will you pass judgment if any case is presented before you? I so now Rasulullah
1: sallallahu alaihi wasallam is sending Mu'adh ibn Najbah off to Yemen, but before he sends him off, he begins to question him, to make sure the knowledge that he's going with is sound. Note here Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa didn't focus on particulars. He focused on principle. If you look at the question of Rasulullah the, the question establishes that this person's foundation is sound. He's using the right tools to answer. His methodology is correct. So he says, That if, if an if a, if a, if a issue, a dispute, a matter that requires judgment is presented to you, how will you handle it? Qultu said, I said, I will answer using the book of Allah That's where I will look for my answer. لي, what if you don't find the answer in the book of Allah? الله الله I will then pass my verdict based off of the tradition of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu الله عليه وسلم. قَالَ فَإِن لَم تجد في سنة رسول الله? What if you don't find the answer there? So he said, O Messenger of Allah, I will use my intellect, I will exert myself, I will give, you the, I will give the answer and I won't cut any corners, like I won't fail you. La أقصر I'm going to make sure I do my best. So from here we see قياس. That if the answer is not in the Quran or in the Sunnah, you can use sound analogies. Not every single ruling will be in the Quran and Sunnah. This riwayah of Abu Dawud is right here regarding Mu'adh ibn Jabal رضي الله فإِلَمْ تَجِدْ فِي سُنَنَتِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ What if you don't find the answer in the example of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu الله Wasallam? Then what? قالَ أَجْتَهِدُ بِرَأْيِهِ وَلَا أَعْلُ I will then use my my opinion and my understanding, use my my intellect to answer. And I وَلَا أَعْلُ أَيْلَأْ أُقَصِّرُ I won't fall short. I'm going to give it my best. فَذَرَبَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِيَدِهِ so in that moment Nabi sallallahu was so proud of Muadh that he in a very proud manner thumped his chest with his hand with his blessed hand waqala rasulillah lima yurdi rasulullah that all praises for Allah who guided the messenger of the messenger of Allah to that which pleases the messenger of Allah alhamdulillahil ladhi rasul rasulillah لِمَا Yurdi رَسُولَ الله. Yes, go ahead. Teaching
2: by remaining silent over what occurs in one's presence.
1: This is what we refer to in uh, the hadith um, terminology in mustalah al-hadith as تَقْرِيرُ النَّبِي صلى الله Al وسلم الإقرار, تَقْرِيرُ النَّبِي تَعْلِمُهُ بِالسُكُوتِ وَالْإِقْرَارِ عَلَى مَا حَدَثَ أَمَامَهُ How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was sometimes teach Through his silence. Sometimes a teaching would occur through a head, like a nod. Sometimes it would occur through just smiling. That's a powerful lesson. Sometimes your silence is a big, it's an educator. Parents know this, that there is a silence treatment. You guys are familiar with the silence treatment? Where the tarbiyah happens without even saying a word. The companions also knew that if there was a religious matter, uh, if there was a religious matter and it occurred in front of the Prophet of Allah, Nabi Wasallam, would definitively say something if it was wrong. Because he was a prophet. He would not allow wrong to exist or occur in his presence. Because then someone can say that this is a part of the deen. Therefore, even Nabi silence was an approval of what was occurring in his presence. Yes, go ahead. We'll read through uh, two narrations, the Abu Dawud, uh, actually we'll read through one narration, the last narration of the chapter.
2: Go ahead. This is one of the categories of the sunnah. The scholars of jurisprudence and the scholars of Hadith refer to this as taqlir. Um, uh, tacit approval. Mm-hmm. If any Muslim center did something in the presence of Rasulullah ﷺ, he did not explicitly, explicitly disapprove of it, but instead remained silent or was openly pleased with it, that it was an indication from Rasulullah that a particular act of, or, or speech was permissible. Many academic matters, matters were learned from Rasulullah in this way. I will suffice by quoting only two hadith in this regard.
1: We're going to read the second one, inshallah.
2: Abu Dawood narrates on the authority of Amr ibn al Asr, who said, I had a wet dream on a cold night while we were in the battle of al
1: Sir. al Salah Mm -hmm.
2: I feared that if I were to take a bath bath, I would die because of the severe cold so I made tayammum and led my companions for the fajr so he
1: had ihtilam, he had a wet dream as a result of which he had to take a bath they were traveling, it was a cold night the man was worried that if I take a bath using water the cold temperature will cause death, I won't live it, so what did he do in return he did tayammum yes إن أن so he said, I did my tayammum, and I prayed Fajr Salah with my companions. So then they, um, they mentioned this to the Prophet Everyone when they came back to Medina, they told the Prophet of Allah, or maybe while they were traveling, Ya Rasulullah, this guy he prayed a salah by doing tayammum. Mr. Tayammum right here read
2: they then related this to the incident to Rasulullah He said, O oh, Amr, you led your companions in Salah while you were in a state of major impurity?
1: wa anta junub, That you led them in Salah while you were in a state of major impurity? Yes.
2: So I informed him of what had prevented me from taking a bath. And I said to him, I heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying in the Qur'an, Do not kill yourselves. Allah
1: is certainly merciful towards So he said that, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I had to take a shower, it was so cold, if I took it, I would have died. And I also read in the Quran that Allah says, do not kill yourselves, God is merciful. Fahika Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul shayan. smiled at him for his sound reasoning and did not say anything. The educational moment was in the silence, where this companion produced a deduction, and his deduction was sound. It did not require any correction. His deduction was sound. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa uh, allowed it, and from here we deduced, legal, legalists and jurists deduced from here, that إِذَا uh, الْأَمْرُ that when a matter becomes constricted and difficult, if something is impossible to practice due to circumstances, then the sharia what does it do? It expands, it creates ease for the people, making sure that people are accommodated for. Okay. If Allah wills we'll stop here, we'll continue in our next class. Wasallallahu alayhi wa wa barakatuh